You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Boy, I just get a little excited about that, to be honest with you this morning. It is well with my soul. You see, I was just an old sinner on my way to hell. I was in the pit, uh, in the mire, in the clay, uh, stuck in sin, stuck in destruction. But I'm glad Jesus, I couldn't get to where he was, but I'm glad he came to where I was. Amen. And I'm glad his hand was able to reach further down than I could reach up. And he came and saved an old sinner like me. And then he proceeded not only save me, but he, he proceeded just to make a change in my life. And boy, I enjoyed this morning. Trey and I got to fellowship just a little bit before the service. You can be turning your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter number two, but he was, he was telling me, oh yeah, children's church by the way, or junior church, uh, thank you so much, I get excited and forget about that, junior church, Miss Kim, it looks like Natalie's going to be helping with that, so the kids can head back to junior church, all right, um, all right, but, uh, but no, but Trey was, uh, and this was a blessing, because he was talking about how his mom had taught, taught, taught him how that if he would call on the Lord, how that he would uh, save him, and, and he was saying a little bit more about it, he was just telling me that, and I said, what well, did you, did you, because he was telling me testifying about basically how it's God that's got him to this point, being able to celebrate his graduation and how the Lord has just brought him through and everything. And, but I just said, uh, but before all that, I said, well, did you pray that prayer? Did you ask God to save you? And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, and that's when, uh, and when Trey gets excited, he starts punching you. So, uh, and so I took a, I, I've gotten hit once before, but I think he hit me three or four times on that when he was so excited. So, uh, but isn't that good, amen, because what I'm, the point that I'm trying to make that is, is what we, Trey and I were up here rejoicing about is not only will God save you by His grace, but man, He'll keep you, He'll help you, He'll, he'll give you wisdom, He'll give you strength, he'll, he'll give you victory in this life, man. It's just so good to be saved, isn't it? Amen. All right, well, if you would turn your, book, your Bible over to the book of Acts, and I want to preach here out of the book of Acts, chapter number 2. I want to preach about the church this morning, of course, as you know. We do have some folks that are planning on joining the church this morning. And so uh, I'm preaching this message in regards to what the Bi- a little bit about what the Bible says about the church. As I studied this, it quickly turned into 11 pages. So I hope you packed a sack lunch today. I'm just kidding you. I'm not preaching all 11 pages. Uh, I narrowed it down, but I'm saying that just to say, man, there's so much I won't be able to say today. Uh, but maybe I'll add on uh, in the future. But we do have some that have been able to talk to have been, as we'll see, they followed the Lord, they've trusted Christ as their Savior, they followed the Lord in believers' baptism, and then, uh, and then now they want to become members of this local church. And if you are not a member of this church, if you'd like to be, uh, I would love uh, for that to happen. Uh, so please, uh, as Michael said, see me. I'd love to discuss that with you. Any questions you have, you can check out our doctrinal statement. And I'm glad to ask any, or answer any questions or concerns that you may have about the church. All right, so, but in the book of Acts, chapter number 2 this morning, I want to begin by reading verses 22 through 24. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse number 22. The Bible says, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God hath by him, or did by him in the midst of you, and ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, 
whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. So to get you up to this point, this is the Apostle Peter preaching to a crowd on what we know as the day of Pentecost. Now, I want to preach about the church this morning, and you know, there's a couple of questions that we could ask this morning. For instance, what is so important about your local church? Does the local church matter? You know, at a time when there's more Bible teaching than you could ever consume of I mean, podcast, radio, internet. I mean, you, you, if you sat and watched teaching and preaching 24 hours a day, you would still only scratch the surface of what's available for Bible preaching. I mean, and honestly, good, sound Bible preaching and teaching and discipleship. You know, uh, so then it's, well, why should it matter uh, whether you're getting it through the internet, radio, whatever the case may be, or through a local church? Does it matter? Well, it does matter. And, and reason it matters is because the Bible says it matters. Now, understand this. I want people to get, I mean, I want people educated, man. I want you to know the Word of God. I want you to grow in truth. I've said it so many times, and this is a good thing to say when we're talking about people joining the church. I don't want anyone here believing or doing anything based on me saying it. Uh, or that being the, 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 the things that this church has agreed on as a doctrinal statement or statement of faith. I want it because you have gone into the Word of God, you have studied it, you have questioned it, because the fact of the matter is, I have so much confidence in the Bible that I believe that if you will seriously study it uh, with, with, and try to, try to separate yourself from any bias or whatever you may want to believe and just go to it and say, God, I want you to show me what the Bible really says, I'm confident that God will reveal that to you. So I encourage you to search the scriptures about what the truth is. So that's why I, that's why I take advantage personally of, uh, of radio, podcast, internet, man. I'm on there all the time. I love it. Uh, but um, that doesn't mean that we still don't need the teaching of the local church. You know, the fact that we're able to do Facebook Live is great. And, you know, to record and everything, that's a wonderful thing because people can't always make it and whatever else. But it doesn't substitute for, it's not a substitute for the church. Uh, it can be in a, th these things, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's things that you can add on to supplement or to help or to help you along the way, but they're not meant to take the place of. It's almost like somebody taking vitamins and therefore they decide they're not going to eat food anymore because they're getting all the vitamins they need in a pill, right? It's like you, you do that in addition to what uh, the, the, the food that you have been provided. And so, uh, so just to say a couple things about the church, the reason why God made the local church and wants us to be a part of the local church, it will see, but the reason we ought to is because God said so. Now, let me get back to our text, and I'll say more about those things in just a moment. I just read to you Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching here on the day of, of Pentecost. Let me get you a quick background. I want to get you up to speed to the point of where we are here in Acts chapter number 2. Fifty days prior to the events of Acts chapter number 2, Jesus had risen again and ascended to heaven after suffering a cruel death on the cross for you and for me. Jesus then returned after he had died, resurrected heaven. He then came back to earth for an additional 40 days. A lot of people don't realize that, but you can just turn a page over into Acts chapter 1, verse number 3, and see that. He spent an additional 40 days on earth. 
Before his final ascension, after those 40 days, he told his disciples to stay in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from the Holy Spirit of God. And you can see that in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, as well as the close of the Gospels. So 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus stayed on this earth after, in, in his glorified body and ministered to uh, saints. Ain't that something? And, but after that 40 days, he said, okay, stay in Jerusalem that you be endued with power from on high. And so after those 40 days, they stayed an additional 10 days in Jerusalem praying, waiting for the fulfillment of this promise. And that day fell, I was about to say happened to fall on the day of Pentecost, but the day did not happen to fall on the day of Pentecost, and which leads us to our first point. One thing I say about the church is we see, number one, God's providential plan for the church. The church is something that God has planned from the very beginning. His providential plan. It's really interesting when we talk about what happened here in Acts chapter number 2. I'm going to give you this history fairly uh, quickly, but, uh, but uh, detailed enough for you to understand my point. So it's the providential plan for the church, number one. It was prophesied in type. Pentecost means 50th. Because this feast was held 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Now, when I'm talking about these feasts, don't get lost, okay? Basically, in Leviticus chapter number 23, which is cool to me, because Leviticus is always one of those books that people cite that when they're reading through the Bible, they say, and then I came to Leviticus. Well, this morning, I want you to know that you can see the church in Leviticus. Number one, you can see Jesus all in Leviticus, amen? Uh, but you see the church as well. Uh, but it was called Pentecost, because Pentecost means 50, and it was 50 days after the Feast of Firstfruits. Um, but in Leviticus 23, there's an interesting outline of the work of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to study it later. It starts with the Feast of Passover. And Passover pictures Jesus' death. You remember what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And it's cool. The Bible actually goes as far as to say that Christ is our Passover. So Jesus came as our Passover Lamb. And in fact, He indeed died on Passover, during Passover. Now, the Passover pictures Jesus as the Lamb of God. The Feast of Firstfruits pictures His resurrection from the dead. Fifty days after Firstfruits is the Feast of Pentecost, which gives us a picture of the formation of the church. The Feast of Firstfruits was always celebrated on the first day of the week, which is Sunday. Jesus arose from the dead on the first day of the week and became the firstfruits of them which slept. And I'm not going to preach about all that, but first fruits just simply mean that Jesus was resurrected and first fruits signifies that this is a first of a whole lot more that's coming, which is us, amen, the resurrection that we await. But uh, the, the, the feast of first fruits. But on the feast of Pentecost, the priest presented two loaves of bread together symbolizing that the Holy Spirit baptized believers and united them into one body, these two loaves, because the church is made up of both Jew and Gentile. There's another really interesting thing about the, 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 the Feast of uh, Pentecost, these two loaves. Not only do they picture the Jew and the Gentile coming together to one, 
One of the unusual things about Pentecost is that the two loaves on the day of Pentecost had leaven in them or yeast in them. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that they tried to avoid uh, leavened bread all the time. It was always unleavened bread because anybody remember what leaven is a picture of? Sin. And so since sin is pictured in the loaves and most of the symbolic bread in the Old Testament is a picture of Jesus Christ, it's unleavened bread because Jesus didn't have any sin in him. Uh, but those two loaves of bread that pictured the church that was to come did have leaven in it because guess who it pictures? Us. <laughs> you know what that tells us? The church is an institution. The local church is an institution that's been founded by God, but there's leaven in the church. There's imperfections in the church. Uh, and that's one of the things that often drive people away from New Testament churches or churches in general is the fact that there is sin in the church. There are people in the church that aren't perfect. I'm glad that's not the case in this church, but some churches have people in them that are not perfect. No, I tell you, you know there's people out looking for the perfect church. And they're looking for the per and I know preachers, I, there, there's, there's church members, there's preachers, and they're out there trying to find the perfect church. May I, may I beg you, if you find the perfect church, whether you're a preacher or whether you're a church member, please don't go there because you'll ruin it. <laughs> It'll be through, right? Because guess what? There is no perfect church, and we are all flawed. Now, one of the things that need not be flawed, and one area that leaven need not enter into, is the, it was when it comes to the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Now, we can have some disagreements when it comes to what the Bible says, um, but there are some things that we agree upon. But the point of the matter, the, the point is, is that we're all just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. There's a cool reference to this bread, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 17, talking about the bread from the Feast of Pentecost. The Bible says, For we being many are one bread and one body. We are all partakers of that one bread. So the fact that there was leaven, of course, indicates that, this, that none of us are going to be complete and sinless until Jesus comes. And so... It was prophesied in type, but also Jesus came along, and then the church was preached by Jesus Christ. In Matthew 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus promised that he would build his church. Well, then he goes on, and, and in fact, the Bible tells us about Jesus and the church. In Ephesians 5, 25, I'll reference this in a moment as well. But the Bible says Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You want to know something today? Jesus loves the church. Now that does mean everybody who trusts him as their savior uh, understand that. But you know what it also means? It means that he loves his us because it is people that are in him that make up New Testament churches. I'll say more about that in a second. But So Christ loved the church. We ought to love the church. Acts 20, verse 28 says that he purchased the church with his own blood. He purchased the church with his own blood. Christ loved the church. Does he love a perfect church? No. Praise God, he loves us. And of course, the context of uh, Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The good news about Christ is he did not love us when we were beautiful. He did not love us when we were doing so great. He loved us, yet when we were without strength, the Bible says, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. He said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus 
teaches us that's how his love is for us. And by the way, you know what that teaches us? God help us as Christians to try to have that kind of love. The Bible says that love covereth a multitude of sins. Now, sometimes we hear that. What that does not mean is that does not mean that we hide and disguise and try to justify sin. What it just simply means is when you look at me and you see my faults and failures, your love covers that. I've got, you've got it covered. Because you say, you know what? I know pastor isn't perfect, but I love him anyway. I wish I had more than one amen there. But anyway, um, love covers a multitude of sins. And so love is, the, the way Christ loved the church is the way that we ought to love the church and uh, love one another. So number one thing I want to say quickly about the church is the providential plan for the church. Number two, uh, the promised power of the church. The promised power of the church. Now, and I, and I'll, I'll say more about this. I keep wanting to get ahead of myself, but Matthew 16, verse 19, and I encourage you to, if you can't turn to these, write them down. We are going to spend more time in Acts 2, but I do want you to see these verses. If you're not able to turn there, write them down for later. But Matthew 16, verse 19, right after the verse where I said Jesus, where Jesus said, I will build my church, he says this, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He was giving the keys of the kingdom to the church. And I'm going to give you a quote by Tony Evans right here. He says, keys speak of authority. Keys speak of access. When you have the keys, you have access to the building. So Jesus said to Peter, I'm going to build my church. He just got through talking about the church. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So if you have the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that means you have access to the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that the church and only the church has access to the kingdom of God and its power. In other words, only the church has access to the rule of God in history. Only the church has the authority to call heaven to address the issues on earth. Only the church can open the door of eternity and cause eternity to impinge on situations in time. Only the church has been given the keys, the authority, the power, and the access to operate heaven's agenda in a hellish world. And since the spiritual precedes the physical, the church operating properly is the primary means of bringing spiritual solutions in history to the physical manifestations that plague humanity. I think that's a good quote. And I believe there's much of that that's been played out in history. Because we talk a lot about the Christian influence. And isn't it interesting? We talk about the Christian influence, but where does the Christian influence really come from? It really comes from the local church. And what happens is that there have been people, we understand, that have made cults out of their churches. We know that. So as a result of that, there's a lot of us that almost shy away from emphasizing the church, the church, the church, because we're, we're, we're afraid somebody's going to say, oh, they think their church is the only one, or they think their church is going to get you to heaven. It's like, and so as a result of that, I believe at great detriment, over the last how many years, it's been to the case to where people don't seem to uh, emphasize the local church like they ought to. When we think, I think about Alexander de Tocqueville. Of course, he saw what was happening in France with the French Revolution, but then he came and saw what was happening in America with the American Revolution. 
And I love what he said there. You know, and it's, and it's a famous, and if you, if you get a chance to read anything by Alexander de Tocqueville, you should, but he talked about how he was seeking for the greatness of America. And, and I can't give the exact quote, uh, I'm ashamed to say, but basically he says, I sought for it in her great harbors, I, I sought for it in her great and vast fields, and I sought, sought for it in, in the wonderful form of government that had been established. But we know the truth about American history, don't we? And here's what Alexander Tocqueville said. He said, it wasn't until I entered the churches of America that I found the greatness of America. He said, when I went into the churches of America, you know what he said? And the pulpits were aflame with righteousness. It's then I discovered the greatness of America. And so the point that I'm trying to make is that, is we always, it's interesting, boy, the, the Christian influence, but you know where that comes from? It comes from God working through local churches. It really does. You, you, you know what Thomas Jefferson enjoy, enjoyed doing? He said one of the things he enjoyed doing he would go to a local Baptist church, but he enjoyed going to that local Baptist church more than any other time was when they were having their business meeting. How many love business meetings? Not I. Uh, <laughs> nay. All right, mark me down. Nay. But, uh, but Thomas Jefferson did. Uh, and by the way, God's blessed our business meetings around here. And, uh, but, but, the, but the point of the matter is, is that he, you know why? Because he said that was the, the purest form of democracy he's ever seen. Purest form of democracy he's ever seen. He said it didn't matter who you were in that Baptist church. He said they have, e each person has a voice. Each person has a vote. Each person has a say. So I'm saying that what that, that quote I gave by Tony Evans, I think is absolutely right. The church has been given the keys to heaven, the kingdom of heaven to make a difference. And, and, and my, the impact the church has made. Yes, Christians have made the impact. Yes, God has made the impact. But he said he would do it through local churches. That's how it takes place. Uh, someone once said this, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. It don't always work right, but when it works right, its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. Its potential is unlimited. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in context of community. And isn't that true? I mean, you can come in this church and get help, can't you? You can come in here with a broken life and thank God for you can come. It builds bridges to seekers and offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten and downtrodden, the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions. It frees the oppressed. It offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater for healing and wholeness. Still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost nothing, uh, is almost more than I can grasp. No other organization on earth is like the church. Nothing even comes close. So we're talking about the power of the church, man. Local churches make a difference. The local church makes a difference. Then I want to give the last point this morning, Derek, in closing. Uh, no, I'm just kidding there. That's a joke between us. He says, I say in closing here lately, I'm going to go and preach 30 more minutes. But, um, but the last main point that I want to give you is the, pres the, the, the prescribed participation in the church. All right? Now, let's go back to Acts chapter number 2 because this gives a great, um, 
example of, of, of what we're talking about here. I read to you the great verses that Peter was preaching Jesus. He was preaching about the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then when you go down to verse number 37, he, he goes on and he begins to give more biblical and Old Testament references that have to do with Christ and the work of Christ. And so he's wrapping up his short message there at the end uh, when you get down about to verse number 37. The Bible says, Now when they heard this, heard what? The gospel. Heard about Jesus they were, and heard about their sin. They were pricked in their heart. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Pricked in their heart. I mean, you ever got pricked? It hurts to be pricked. It hurts to be uh, poked, doesn't it? And it gets your attention. You don't, you don't just say, oh man, that hurt. What do you do? You go, ow! You get pricked in the heart. See, the gospel, the, the, the working of the Holy Ghost of God that convicts and brings to your realization your need for Him. So again, verse number 37, the Bible says, now when they had heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? When Peter, then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And, uh, and I'll stop reading right there. Now, of course, what had happened leading up to this is these people had, many of these people had heard the disciples preach in their language, in the tongue from whence they were born. And now they were pricked in their hearts and they said, what shall we do? So what happened? The Bible says, if you go on, notice with me. So verse 30, they were pricked in their hearts. What, what, what shall we do? In verse number 40, the Bible says, And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. But notice what the Bible says in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So just look at this pattern. So we're talking about the prescribed, prescription, pre prescribed participation here. Number one, they were saved. They were pricked in their hearts. They were shown their need for salvation. Um, I, I'll refer more to this in just a moment, but oftentimes the Bible will talk about, I, I was going to give Colossians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 1 or verse 2, of Colossians 1, 2, where Paul says, the saints at Colossae that are in Christ. You know, you can be in a local church, you can be a member of a local church and not be a member of Christ. I know that's pretty obvious for most people, but a lot of people believe that by being a member of a church, some church, any church, that that means that they're going to go to heaven or that it means they're a Christian. I always like what uh, Billy Sunday once said. He said, he, said, being, he said, being in a church does not make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Right? Being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. You, th listen, and I want to say this very clearly. There's church members that need to, need to trust Christ. Joining a church does not mean that you are saved. does not mean that you've been forgiven of your sins. What happens is the first thing, before they ever join the church, this is why, this is why you have to be saved, baptized, and get ahead of myself, because you've got to understand. A child can't, I mean, I'm saying like a baby, an infant, a toddler, 
can't understand their sin. Therefore, they can't be saved and follow the Lord and baptized and be a member of a church. They were, they, it was revealed to their hearts that they, were, that they had sinned against God, but that Jesus died for their sins. So if you don't hear anything else I say, be sure you listen to this. If you do not know Christ as Savior, I don't care if you call yourself Baptist, Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Reformed, uh, whatever else you want to call yourself, if you don't know Christ as Savior today, that church is doing you absolutely no good whatsoever. Maybe it is in this life, but as far as you're standing with God, this church or no other church is going to save your soul, forgive your sins. I, I, well, I, I'll, I'll share, but I'll... Uh, he had a grandfather. It's a sad story. I think it may have been his great-granddad because his dad got saved. And he went to go tell his his dad, after he got saved, he said, Dad, guess what? And now this was a man that was raised religious. Anybody else? Raised in the church, baptized as an infant, the whole deal, uh, always in church. And, uh, but then he goes, and he goes and tells his dad that had raised him in this church, and he says, Dad, basically gives him the same message Peter did, we're sinners. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus paid the price for our sins. Because baptism can't, the church can't. Good works can't. Jesus paid the price, because, and He's the only way, Dad. He died for your sins. He rose again the third day, so that, it, that if you would call on Him, if you would rec gladly receive His Word, you could be forgiven. You could be a child of God. You could make things straight against God, who you've violated against His commandments, and you can be in heaven one day. Grandpa looked at his son, and he said, if the Lutheran church can't get me to heaven, then I'm not going. If the Lutheran church can't get me to heaven, I'm not going. The sad truth is, he's not going. See, but there's people that have that same attitude as Baptist. I'm a Baptist. Man, we believe, you know, our church believes right and lives right and spits white and the whole thing, you know. And so, therefore, I mean, you know, I'm going to heaven. I'm a Baptist. Being a Baptist don't get you to heaven. Being saved, being a Christian gets you to heaven. Nothing else, no other church. So the very first thing that happened is they were convicted of their sins. They saw their need of Christ. Now, what we understand happened spiritually at that very moment, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit of God into Christ, according to Romans chapter number 6. A lot of you don't realize that, but the moment that you were saved, baptism has to do with identification. That's what baptism is. It's immersion, but in a, in, a, in a typical spiritual sense, it's identification. So the moment you're saved, the Bible says you experience a spirit baptism into Christ, according to Romans chapter number 6. Romans 6 is not talking about water baptism. Romans 6 is talking about spirit baptism. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. So the moment, that you, the moment that you are saved, you become a part of the body of Christ. You become a part of the bride of Christ, the church that Jesus loved and gave himself for. Some argue this, but I believe they do so to their detriment. Uh, th these are the people that God gave himself for. So... They're saved, they're spirit baptized into the body of Christ, into, into Christ to, to be a part of Him, His bride. But then, notice the next thing, then they are baptized. Verse 41, then they that gladly received His word were baptized. 
the way, understand this. When the Bible says, when Peter said in verse 38 to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, that word for there is, is not the way we, where we, it, it often gets read. It's something like this. It's for, we don't use the word for in this way often, but here in a little while, or maybe you're this way already, you may be saying, I'm hungry. When's he going to be done? I'm hungry. Okay, but if I were to say to you, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get something to eat for I'm hungry. Why are you getting something to eat for I'm hungry? Now, we don't use that terminology much in our modern-day vernacular, but that's what he's saying there. Uh, repent and be baptized because you've been saved. So you, you, since you've repented, since you've been saved, you are baptized. So they, they, they trusted Christ, their conversion, then they were baptized, water baptized, and that means immersion. But notice not only that, verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Who were they added to? Yes, we know they were added to Christ the moment they were saved, but they also followed the Lord in believer's baptism. And by the way, I said, spiritually speaking, baptism is identification, but the literal meaning of the word is immerse. That's what it literally means. I'm glad if we're saved, we've been immersed into Christ. But then he says, follow the Lord in baptism. But here's the steps. Number one, you've got to get saved. You've got you've to see yourself for the sinner that you are, admit that you're a sinner, and be willing to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. He'll save your soul. He'll, and at that moment that you trust Him, He puts you into Christ. He baptizes you into Christ. But... Then the next step is be baptized in water. Does it save? No. Get you wet. Amen. Maybe cold if it's cold outside. It may feel good when it's hot. No, it's symbolic and it's an important thing, but there's nothing spiritual really that happens outside of the fact that you have been obedient spiritually, but there's nothing magical about baptism. Mark that down. I mean, uh, it, it, do, if you refer to your getting baptized as when you got saved, we need to talk. It could just be a thing of semantics, okay? I understand that. But baptism does not save. We follow the Lord in baptism because we are saved, all right? So, conversion, baptism, and then they were added unto them. And what I believe that we see there, and I, I can prove it, I'm going to try in closing-ish, um, <laughs> that they became a part of this local church that was there at Jerusalem. They were added to them. So we see, we see a pattern, number one, of dynamic devotion. I've sh shared this verse already, Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, therefore we ought to love the church. A pattern of dynamic dedication. See, it's really interesting that as far back as the book in the New Testament, salvation brought you into union with Christ, but salvation also repeatedly in the New Testament brings you into union with the local body of believers. Every time, or with, almost without exception. You know, we could think about the Ethiopian eunuch. Of course, he was traveling through and he kept on going. But these people that were at this place, they were added to a group of people, a physical visible body 
So becoming a Christian meant also entering into the fellowship with the people of God. The idea of believers living independently of the church is foreign to the New Testament. The Holy Spirit addressed almost every epistle to a New Testament church. Um, and other books like 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon were addressed to key leaders in the church, in local churches. Even the book of James was written to believers that were scattered by persecution, but there's, there's an assumption in James that his recipients are still finding a way to gather together. And that's what church is. It's an ecclesia. It's a, it's a called out assembly. It's a people that are called out and brought in together to one. Throughout the New Testament, the assumption is always the same. The people of God are faithfully gathering together in a local assembly where the Word of God is being disseminated. That, that, uh, that unified gathering, not just in the invisible world, some invisible worldwide sense, but in a visible congregation, is at the heart of Christianity. The church is the only institution that the Lord established while He was on this earth. And He promises to bless this church. Now, the New Testament repeatedly emphasizes the importance of local assemblies. In fact, if you think about the pattern of Paul's ministry to establish local churches everywhere he went, what was he trying to do? He was trying to establish local churches. Why? Because he was carrying out the Great Commission. That's what our missionaries are either planting churches or assisting in uh, church plants. That's what we do. That's what we're trying to do. And so when you think about, and, and for those that have been shell-shocked by these verses, please pause to hear what they say. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, verse 24 through 25, and let us consider one another. So he's talking to Christians. Let's consider each other. Let's provoke unto love and to good works. Then he tells us how to do this. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. What is he saying there? Basically, he's just saying there's not this independent thing that's blessed by Scripture. God does not mean for us to not be a part of a body of believers. He means for us to be together. He means for us to be there to serve one another, to encourage one another. And, you know, I said about people being shell-shocked. Some of you don't understand what I mean by that. Some of you have been beat over the head with Hebrews 10, 25, okay? Uh, that's not what it's meant to do. It's talking about people that just forsake, that just leave, that have no investment in... I mean, if we're not a part of the local church, it, it's kinda, it can be convenient because we don't have commitment, we don't have responsibility, we don't have accountability, but I'm telling you, I believe it, leads to, uh, can, it will lead to weakness. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, notice what the Bible says. In verse 42, so they were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread. So this shows us that the early church, what they did when they got together. They learned God's Word and the implications God's Word had on their lives. They joined to carry out acts of love and service to one another. They commemorated the Lord's death and resurrection through the breaking of bread. They prayed. And of course, we can do all these things.
necessarily, but God's called us into his body. He's called us into a local representation of that worldwide body and we should gladly minister and be ministered unto among God's people. Active involvement in your church is imperative to living a life without compromise. It is only through the ministry of the local church that we'll receive the kind of teaching and accountability, the, the opportunities to serve one another. Now we serve in our neighborhoods, we serve in our families, but the, 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 the body, the working of the church. I just got to say this morning, I love church. <laughs> I mean, listen, since the Lord saved me, after I walked in that Harvest Baptist Church in Bessemer City, North Carolina, I, the, the Lord pricked my heart there. I got saved later. I was baptized there. But man, I found a group of believers, not perfect believers, but a group of people that lifted me up. And I'm telling you, this preacher would not be here today if it wasn't for church. Number one, I walked in that church, heard the gospel, and was eventually saved. That church was praying for me. Number two, I walk in there as a dude off the street, as a kid off the street that's a total wreck and a mess, and all these people just kind of took me under their wing. The, the, the men of that church, I mean, they were there to encourage me and to challenge me uh, to become and to be a man of God. I mean, it was through church that I began to learn more about Christ and grow, grow closer to Christ. It's through church that I began to uh, learn the Bible. It's through church, uh, listen, that I, that I learn how to try to be the husband I'm supposed to be. Yeah, I can read a book. But, but not only was it taught to me, it was modeled for me. Man, it was in church or in a church setting at a youth camp when I surrendered to preach the gospel. I mean, I cannot tell you the, 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 the countless hours. I, you know, we, we, we uh, at the end of our services, not every church does this, but at the end of, our, end of our services, we always give an invitation and allow people to come up and pray. If you need to be saved, we, we give people the opportunity to humble themselves and come, and you can call on the Lord right where you're at, but there's just the, just the need to come and have somebody pray with you. But we also have it just for people say, Lord, I want to draw closer to you, or, or I've got this need in my life, or whatever the case may be. I can't tell you the hours I've spent up at the altar. I don't do it very often because I'm usually up here inviting people to it now. But man, my life was changed in the church. I would not be where I'm at today. I'm telling you one thing, man, my, my wife and I, we didn't meet in church, but not long, one of our first dates was to church. And God got a hold of my at that church and I'm telling you my wife and I we've grown together in church we've raised our kids in church I mean uh, our, our kids have been in, in and, and I understand by the way the hurt that can come man listen man it's terrible what can happen in churches it really really is but I'm telling you by the grace of God it's not that we haven't been hurt because we have uh, but man God's been good to us amen just like some of you did. We, I mean, nine months before our children were born, they started coming to church. Amen. I mean, I, I, heard, I heard people, uh, I heard people say, I've heard people kind of say this. I, I don't know if our kids would say this exactly, but I've heard people get up and say that when they were a kid, they had a drug problem. They said their parents never went to church without dragging them along. Amen. They took them to meetings and conferences and drug them all over the place. And I don't know what my kids would say about that today, uh, but I'll tell you what, I, I hope today that, you know, I got two adult kids, that those adult kids can say, thank God for church, amen. 
Thank God for those times that they took me with so many of our memories, so many of our pictures. I'm just saying that I thank God for church. Amen. I thank God for the way God's used church in my life. You know, statistically, uh, only one out of four church attendees, I'm sorry, statistically, one out of four church attendees consider themselves church shoppers with no real devotion to any particular church. An estimated 15 to 20 million Americans have said that they are Christians but do not want to be a part of the church. That's sad, isn't it? Now, here's another sad part. There's good reason for that in some cases, is there not? There really is. However, we cannot let a bad experience turn us away from something that God has made for our uh, edification. It may be that somebody... You may need to get out of a toxic church. Really. Uh, but I'm telling you, don't give up on church. Uh, around 80% of American evangelical churches uh, are plateaued or declining. When asked, when asked people uh, give the standard answers, church is irrelevant, church is boring, church is hypocritical, church is after my money. Many have been hurt in church. But I'm telling you, one of our responsibilities as a church is to come together, try to encourage one another, hold one another accountable, and it gives us the opportunity to try to help fix the image of Christianity, help fix the image of the church, not just feed in and, you know, relinquish to that. Oh, my friend, listen, think about it this way. Do you remember what God said about you as a Christian when He saved you in the book of 1 Corinthians? He said you're a part of the body. You're a hand, you're a foot, you're a finger, you're an eye, you're an ear. Some of you are toes. <laughs> hey, but I, I knew a fellow that, that, uh, that lost his pinky toe, got it ran over by a forklift, had to learn to walk again. You think the pinky toe don't add up to much? It does. And he, I'll tell you this right now. You may think that you're insignificant, but you are not. You are not. And if you're a Christian, you have been given a spiritual gift. Where does he say you carry that spiritual gift out at? At the church, at the local church, and outside of the local church. It's not just about the four walls. Remember, we are the church. I understand this building is the church. You look around you, you see the church. That's important to understand. But through our spirit, every one of you have a spiritual gift if you're saved. Are you using that spiritual gift? Or are you just keeping it to yourself? You know, and not exercising it. Many people don't know they have a spiritual gift, but you do. See, what happens in church membership is that the, the individual believer is publicly identified with the local body of believers and enters into, a, into an ongoing spiritual partnership with that congregation. It's a public affirmation of our unity in Christ, our care for each other, and our shared desire to grow together in the love and the knowledge of God's Word. Now, while the original process might vary from today's patterns, there's no doubt that the New Testament Christians were lovingly united and bound to their local body believers. And I say that to say this as I really am closing now, 30 minutes later, that, you know, in a, in a moment, the, the, the way that we've just traditionally done membership is, of course, we, we try to make sure those two things are saved. You want to know something about that? I can only go by your testimony. Nobody knows my heart whether I'm really saved or not, right? I mean, you say, well, I think there's evidences. Well, there are evidences. But me and God know. But people tell me, you know, are you saved? Yes, I'm saved. Have you followed the Lord in baptism? Yes, I have. And then, 
What we do after that is we say, okay, well, what we want to have you do is to come forward and the church is going to vote. We're going to uh, vote to accept you into upon your baptism or, or sometimes it's a transfer of letter also sometimes it has to be uh, and by the way did you know transfer of letters is a biblical thing biblical letters it's, uh, it's weird church letters but um, but sometimes there's churches that are ornery and won't give you a, a letter of recommendation and then we just go on profession of faith but the point that I'm trying to make is this I'm not always comfortable with the way we do it it's just the way we do it have you thought about that we talked about that the other day how'd they do it in the Bible I don't know the Bible says they were just added to them you know, I mean, I think about some of you. Some of you have been saved, baptized, come to this church for some time. What makes you not a member? You know, I don't know. It's just weird the way we do it. So I don't know exactly how they do it in the New Testament, but I do know there was something, some way that they made that commitment that I do, an open commitment that I do want to be a part of this local congregation. And so uh, this morning... For those that I've had the chance to speak to, if we haven't spoken yet, I'd love to speak to you. We can do this again next week or the week after, amen? But for those that, that I have spoken to that would like to join this church, I'd like, you, I'd like for you at this time to uh, come forward. And Miss uh, Son, you can head to the piano. Um, we may have an invitation in just a moment. But if there's anybody that would like, let's all stand.